1: Welcome to Inside Business. I'm Tom Lyons. Coming up this week, we talk to Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty about KPMG and its difficult position as being both auditor of failed building society Irish Nationwide and now it's liquidator as the liquidator of IBRC we'll also be talking to Irish Times finance correspondent Kieran Hancock and the Irish Times Laura Slattery on two of the big stories right now the emergence or possible emergence of a third force in Irish banking as well as UTV and its plans to become a new player and in the first half of this week's inside business we're joined by Sinn Fein's Pierce Doherty, who's on the line from Donegal Pierce Irish nationwide it's, it's 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 pound for pound Ireland's worst financial institution. Its collapse cost us 5.4 billion, and yet we have the curious situation where the society's former auditor, KPMG, has been appointed to be, by the state to, to liquidate this society. I mean, do you, do you think that there there's a conflict of interest there that we should be concerned about?
3: Well, my view is there, there's definitely a conflict of interest. And if we were to take this into any other business, it simply wouldn't be permitted. It would be, my understanding is illegal, it would be against the Companies Act, where you could have an auditor of a company liquidating the same company. Uh, the way that I understand that KPMG have been able to get around this is because the company has now... F- Formed into a new company called Ibrc but it's it's only changing the name. Basically, we have the auditor liquidating the same company, and that would not be permitted anywhere else in the state and it should not be permitted with this bank because there is this genuine conflict of interest and the the cost of the taxpayer, as you said, has been astronomical and the serious questions remain in relation to it, not only the institution but also the company who is now liquidating it and their failure to detect. What was going on within this bank during the crucial years in the lead up to its collapse?
1: And Pierce, in the Finance Committee uh, recently, you know, you questioned uh, IBRC slash Irish Nationwide uh, liquidators, uh, uh, KPMG accountants, Eamon Richardson and Kieran Wallace on this very issue. Were you satisfied with their with their responses?
3: No, I wasn't. Uh, I would be very concerned that there hasn't been um, an investigation into uh, KPMG who audited the accounts of um, Irish Nationwide and provided service to to that institution for uh, for, for up to 20 years. Uh, their arguments are is that they got legal advice, but when that was teased through, it, it, it appears that the legal advice was given by a firm who also had contact or who had serv- been providing services to the same institution. So I, I think it could be genuinely said that it's not, um, uh, th- that there could be a conflict of interest there also. We have uh, information through a special report that was done by um, RT a number of years ago in terms of the Ernest & Young uh, McCann Fitzgerald report into nationwide which gives us a glimpse of what we've seen on our television screens, to just what was going on within that institution uh, and if we can believe that that's what was going on within the institution then there are serious questions as why KPMG of which these liquidators are part of represent why they failed to detect um, what was going on within this bank, why they failed to detect the governance issue, the override of the, the credit control committee, the fact that there was no documentation that they were paying out twice on certain invoices, that there was no IT, proper IT systems in terms of uh, and internal controls and how, uh, you know, that the bad debt provision in that institution increased tenfold within 12 months. Uh, none of that was, was spotted by KPMG and, and their ser- serious questions uh, as to the, their role over those years.
1: Yeah, I, 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 those reports were by uh, Ernest and Pierce and they really were quite extraordinary, uh, what they discovered about Irish Nationwide. But do you think it's fair to blame KPMG entirely when it does appear that they provided regular updates to the financial regulator, uh, stating that, they, look, there's lots of problems with this society, but it just seems like the financial regulator time and time again uh, didn't do anything or didn't do enough?
3: Well, I don't think we can blame any one section or any one uh, entity in relation to the banking crisis. At the end of the day, it was Irish Nationwide who were partaking in these practices. And in, indeed, it seems in, in many cases, it was the chief executive. Uh, and the fact that the chief executive had um, had these special powers where he could overwrite um, the, the, the Credit Control Committee uh, and other decision Uh, uh, other decision-making processes within the institution. Uh, But there is a role for the auditor when it presents accounts to investors, to shareholders, to actually uh, highlight areas of concern. Uh, And there is... Serious questions as to why, um, at no time in, in in the audited accounts did the auditors identify the extent of the executive management override in Irish nationwide. If I was an investor in that bank, then I would be um, that would be something that would concern me to know that uh, the CEO was able to make these decisions without any recourse uh, to any other internal control, was able to do that without even having access to the computer system within the institution. Uh, why was the you know why was only 240 million euro of provisions being made in the 2008 account at a time when you had gone through the, the St. Patrick's Day's massacre with Anglo-Irish Bank when you know you had the collapse of other institutions in, in particularly in America yet the uh, bad debt provision in that bank was, was extremely low uh, at that time and particularly the following year when a quarter of its loan book was provided in bad debt there's serious questions why KPMG continued to audit this as a, as a goal concern and these are issues that need to be investigated and they need to be investigated thoroughly so that we can get to the bottom of it as to did KPMG fall down on their end Uh, but there are also serious questions and primarily for the the institution themselves their directors and also for the regulator.
1: And uh, Pierce, is that one of the reasons why you wrote recently to the, you, you know, the Chartered Accountants Regulatory Body, saying, look, that this is something that they should look at? I mean, do you feel that you that you needed to write this letter, or did you not think that maybe they could have decided to do this to do, to do this investigation themselves? Or? Yeah.
3: Well, it didn't seem that they, they they were going to do this investigation. And, and the fact that a formal complaint has now gone into them means that it, it begins a process within CARP to, 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 to carry out investigations um, on the complaint. So I'll, I'll wait to see the response um, from the regulatory body. Um, but there are a number of points that have been raised. I have written to um, the Minister for Finance in relation to the fact that uh, the special liquidators haven't... Um, Investigated themselves, uh, the the KPMG. And looked at taking legal action against KPM, KPMG, um, and I think that's an issue of concern. And I think that the, the, the clock is ticking here in relation to the length of time that can that can elapse before we can take action. So uh, I think this definitely puts it in, in not only in the political radar, but in the on the radar of, of CARB, who hopefully will carry out an investigation. And the points that I've raised, which aren't aren't just about the failure of KPMG to to detect. Within, um, within the institution at the time and highlight those, but also the fact of the um, conflict of interest between the special liquidators uh, and KPMG themselves and and, and the institution. Uh, and I think that's something that needs to be dealt with and needs to be dealt with swiftly.
1: And, Pierce, in fairness to KPMG, they did say that, you know, following your questioning, they said that they were going to step back and that they were going to bring in somebody to independently review the legal advice and, and, and independently look at what potential liquid uh, litigation that they should be taking uh, like, are you concerned that you know we we haven't as yet uh, seen how how or what form this is going to take?
3: No. Well, there's a number of questions that I've put down to the minister um, on foot of um, of the comments from the special equitator at the um, finance committee meeting that there was going to be a, a different structure established and what that structure means and what, what exactly its its role will be. Um, and we're interested to tease that out with the. Um, with the, um, with the Minister and with, indeed, the special liquidators. It seems that this isn't just in relation to KPMG, but it, in terms of uh, its role as auditor, but it's about anywhere where there could be conflict of interest between the special liquidator um, and its role. So it's about having that, that separation. The real question is here is, will this new body be tasked with investigating whether KPMG should be sued by the special liquidator? Is there a case to answer by KPMG? Uh, and will that... That be uh, in the terms of reference of, of this new committee um, or this new body that's going to be established that will allow the special liquidators to be at arm's length from the body that they uh, and that, that, that they are from and who, were, who who carried out the audited accounts for for Irish Nationwide and the, their answers that we haven't got uh, as of yet.
1: And just finally, Pierce, I mean, Irish nationwide, it's now six years since the society had to be guaranteed by the state, uh, a decision which ended up costing the taxpayer 5.4 billion. We've had nobody held to account so far. Uh, Do you believe that Michael Fingleton, you know, now in his mid 70s, uh, do you believe he's ever going to pay back his uh, controversial one million euro bonus, which he was paid in his final year in charge?
3: well we're lent led to believe that the special equditor is pursuing that and, and including uh, you know his his other bonuses um you know, I, I'm not sure if that's going to hap- happen. It's it's something that exercises the public um, in, in relation to the fact that you know somebody at a high level of an institution, which simply seemed seemed as if this was his own plaything, uh, you know, could have caused the state so much damage in terms of financial damage and and kind of uh, waltz into the the sunlight with his bonus and kind of. Uh, send a a big stuff you to the rest of the taxpayers who had to bail out the institution that he was was head of. But there is, I think, serious other lessons that need to be learned from the Irish nationwide uh, fiasco, and it's about how uh, an institution in the end of 2008 could be shown that it was actually healthy, that its bad debt provision was at 7.5%, yet the next year, within 12 months, a quarter of its loan book was unrecoverable. There are serious questions for and lessons that we can build for the future so that we know that auditors will not, you know, uh, dis- or will find these these holes and will highlight them in the future and that the regulator will act on them. And I think that's probably of an issue of more concern uh, to me at this point in time. Obviously, I want to see Fingleton um, pay the price, which means paying back the bonus that he got and whatever other... Um, whatever other processes that he has to undergo. uh, I think that's important, but there needs to be serious lessons uh, learned from from all of this. And I think one of the ways that this can happen is that the government publish uh, the Ernest Young report that was done into Irish Nationwide uh, with the help of McCann Fitzgerald so that we can actually be clear as to what was going on within Irish Nationwide uh, and have a better account, because at this point in time, we have been relying on a report that I understand was only given to RT, but they don't have in their possession. Uh, And, uh, you know, we only have the information that was able to be uh, screened on the television. I think it's important that we have transparency. Uh, Eamon Gilmore called for its publication when he was in opposition. He's now in government. And I think, you know, on the cusp of a banking inquiry, that report should be made public.
1: Absolutely, Pierce. I mean, I think there's very little reason to see why it would be still remain commercially sensitive. Uh, Pierce Doherty, Sinn Fein's finance spokesperson, uh, thank you for coming on Inside Business. And in the second part of Inside Business with the Irish Times Business Podcast, we're joined by Kieran Hancock, finance correspondent with the Irish Times and Laura Slattery, uh, an expert in media and marketing. Uh, We're going to start with you, Kieran, about one of the big stories of of the past couple of weeks you've been writing about, which is about the idea of a third force in Irish banking. This is an idea that's been floating around uh, for some time. Do you think it's finally going to happen?
2: I think there's a good chance of it, all right. Yes, uh, Michael Noonan uh, outlined his idea uh, at the Fine Ardesh a couple of weeks ago um, and then um, posited the idea, if you like, uh, in an interview with RT Radio. Um, in parallel with that, if you, lo- uh, if you will, Royal Bank of Scotland has been carrying out this strategic review of Ulster Bank um, and it would seem that uh, it's keen to find a consolidation play in the Republic for Ulster Bank. Um, the Ulster Bank in Northern Ireland is the lead player in that market. But in the Republic, they're kind of a distant third to AIB and Bank of Ireland. And they're also um, separating out some of the non-core, some of the bad stuff, if you like, and putting it into an internal bad bank. So what's going to be left with Ulster Bank in the Republic um, when branch closures and job cuts are put in place is a bank that's probably going to be on a par, maybe a bit smaller than permanent TSB at the minute. So you're talking about two banks that are going to be quite a considerable... uh, way away from AIB and Bank of Ireland who are dominating the market probably have eighty or eighty five percent of you know current accounts, etc So the idea is the government is very keen that Ulster Bank doesn't leave the market. It doesn't want to lose any more banks. We had fifteen or sixteen banks, you know, pre the crash and now we have, you know, effectively about five retail banks, two big ones and three small ones, KBC being the other small one. And it would seem that they're keen for Ulster Bank um to stay here and there has been some discussions um with Royal Bank Scotland on this. Royal Bank Scotland has appointed Morgan Stanley to um, uh, to identify some consolidations play here realistically the plays are permanent TSB uh, KBC Bank Ireland uh, or maybe some sort of a deal with Danske Bank Danske Bank has effectively exited the retail banking market here or is at the minute but um, it's going to stay here for large corporates and institutional, and it also has um, quite a sophisticated technol- technology platform that it's white labelling to credit unions here. And uh, which of these, uh, you know, various possible combinations, do you think is the most likely, Ciaran? I think probably the most likely is uh, permanent TSB because it's it's uh, pretty much one hundred percent state owned. It's ninety nine point two percent state owned by the um, by the government. Uh, it was bailed out a four billion bailout in uh, a few years ago. And it, with the government wanting Ulster Bank to stay in um, and it would seem that there's some political machinations going on in the background, you know, between the UK government, which is the majority shareholder of RBS and the Irish government um, to make this happen. So I think if, if anything is likely to happen, that's probably it. Um, you know, there is always the possibility that Ulster Bank and KBC might do something. KBC is expanding its presence here in a small way. It's, you know, it's it's offering current accounts now and it's opening some branches, but only a few. Um, it would have the financial firepower to do something here, all right. But whether they want to do something on that scale remains to be seen.
1: What sort of timescale do you think we're talking about, Kieran I mean, this is uh, an idea which has been floating around for decades, heating up right at the moment. I mean, do you think that we're talking the short term or is it? Well, is it the third longer? banking
2: force, you're right, has certainly been floating around for more than 20 years. I mean, the original plan was to put ICC and ACC um, together. They were both in state ownership. Um, and to merge them with TSB, which was kind of quasi-state-owned uh, back in the day. And Fianna Fáil and Labour, when they came into coalition government in 1993, they had it as part of their programme for government. Uh, and there have been various iterations over the years um, since then. And the trade unions and uh, you know the like socialist um, TDs like Joe Higgins and so on have been calling for a, a state-owned third banking force. So... Um, I think, given where we're at now and the position we're in, and the kind of um, the fact that the economy is starting to take off, and we've two very big banks which have state involvement, uh, and the government is keen for there to be a third player, I think the possibility of it happening right now is uh, is, is probably quite real. Uh, if it's going to happen, it will probably happen this year. And Laura Slattery, the
1: the other big story of the week has been UTV's financial results. Uh, before we look at their move into television, can we just look at the overall results? I mean, do you think that this tells us much about the Irish media market and the the, the appetite for more advertising?
0: Yes, well, possibly the most interesting part of UTV media's results this week uh, was, in fact, the outlook statement, which uh, showed um, positive momentum for its uh, television advertising business um, and growth in the first part of uh, 2014 that was ahead of what some people had expected. So this bodes well for them, um, you know, even deciding to go into the uh, Republic of Ireland uh, television market in, in the way that they are is in itself a bet on the economy, and um, fa- faith that advertisers will continue to see television advertising as an attractive medium um, in the years ahead.
1: And the uh, Davy Stockbrokers uh, Simon McGrath, he was he was saying that you know that he he saw this as showing you know that this might be signs of us turning a corner. I mean, do you think that this has got a good read through for? Other media groups like yeah. TV3, the Irish Times, independent news and media?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a very competitive market, um, especially on the television side at the moment. And every, everybody is kind of losing a bit of uh, business to digital as well but um the great thing about television advertising um you know in terms of for, for us for for market watchers is that it tends to be quite transparent first of all we have eTV media you know required because it's a public company to give these uh, regular trading updates but also RTE will release its advanced booking uh prices which in itself can, can can tell you which direction the the market is going and you can tend to take a you know a, a sort of a, a position on on how the the rest of the advertising market is going. I mean, most people are kind of of the view that there will be a bit of a lift this year um, across the board.
2: Do you have a view, Kieran? Well, I think it'll be very interesting to see what the impact will be on TV3 because the Irish market is, you know, the Republic market is four and a half million people and there's only so much of an advertising pie here. Uh, UTV are obviously making a big play for that now by taking Coronation Street and Emmerdale off uh, TV3 in the, in the coming years. And, uh, you know, it's great on, on one level that they are establishing a base here and they're going to employ people here and have a studio and put more resources in here, but it will be very interesting to see what impact it has on TV3, which has uh, struggled over the last uh, number of years in, in terms of advertising because and um, because rte and the rest of the market has uh, struggled
0: yeah i mean this year is already seeing a bit of competitive pressure because channel 4 is selling opt-out advertising um but because the market is ri- is you know forecast to rise this year that that's okay but when we've got utv and channel 4 now from next year um you know inevitably nobody thinks that the market is going to rise so much that it won't hurt tv3 and rte and TV3 is sort of fast uh, trying to reinvent itself as a kind of a content company and to boost its sales from from from, from international formats and so on, in order to sort of slightly mitigate the effect that, the, you know, the, the obvious impact that this is going to have on them eventually from and, next year. And
1: Kieran, I was reading uh, there's a big interview with UTV boss uh, Michael Wilson in the Sunday Times at the weekend where he said, you know, when we come into the Irish market, we're not going to be a timid mouse. Uh, in terms of you know where he's going to attack first, do you think it's going to be very much TV3 and that Orty uh, won't be
2: as much in the firing line because of the mixed programming that they're going to show? Well, I think absolutely it's TV3. I mean, they've already taken Coronation Street and Emmerdale off. It. I think however much TV3 protests, um, that is going to hurt their ratings, there's no doubt about it, because these are two top-rated shows and they also kind of dominate the 7pm to 9pm um, TV slots uh, on a Monday and a Friday uh, at least um, and but having said that on the flip side um, UTV is going to lose Champions League um, coverage uh, it's going to lose it to BT in Britain and I, I think, uh, well I'm not sure what the situation is in, in Ireland, maybe Laura knows uh, if TV3 and RT are going to continue to to share those rights and they are quite important um, rights to have So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but I think they're definitely going after um, TV3. TV3 is the other kind of commercial broadcaster in the marketplace. RTE, uh, at the end of the day, still has 200 million, or or the guts of, in a license fee to prop it up. Um, uh, You know, TV3 is is the other kind of big commercial um, broadcaster down south. And I think TV3 uh, TV3 is the one that's going to be most in the firing line, I would have thought, from uh, UTV.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I'd say they are the most the most worried, um, but that's not to say that RTE wouldn't be worried as well because they kind of you know they, over the years they've sort of suffered from this sort of chip chip effect from um, all of these channels as well as the all the the opta channels that sky sells the 20 something channels and they might only have tiny amounts of share but it all kind of eats eats away at them uh, which is why they're trying to move away from dependent dependence on advertising as well uh, but I think the situation with the Champions League is that somebody is going to have to cut a deal with BT for the Irish rights that I understand from 2015 but I, I, I could be it could
2: be uh, yeah. uh, that's uh, I think TV3 have also indicated that they're going to put more money into local uh, programming they're going to have their own um their own soap. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. You know, Irish soaps have had a bit of an iffy history um, they have
0: to get it right first time with the soap i think that's what um, uh, alan cox who heads up one of the big media buying agencies uh, core media has said it's really imperative that they you know really you know get this get 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 it right with their soap um, but they they themselves have said that it would be a normal kind of viewing trend with a new program like a soap opera to get a big hit in the audience at the beginning and then for interest to tail off a little bit and then for it, it, the viewing figures to creep back up again. But the important thing, important thing is that they do creep back up again and they can mitigate some of that, that impact. And
1: uh, um, Kieran, you know, TV3 has sort of fixed its balance sheet by getting a big debt write-down from the former Anglo-Irish Bank. Do you think, though, still, like, does it have the financial firepower to compete, uh, you, you know, with, with UTV, which has a stock market listing and, you know, has got a very strong balance sheet?
2: It hasn't to date. Um, I suppose we'll have to wait and see precisely what the financial restructuring will mean for the company and kind of where its future ownership goes. Um, Dowdy Hansen have been in for the last whatever, eight or nine years. Um, I, I, I presume probably more, probably 10 years or more. I presume they would have expected an exit now, but because of the recession and because of the banking crisis and all of that kind of stuff, they haven 't had it now, maybe at some point over the next couple of years that can happen through one means or another maybe maybe we'll have an iPO of t v three everything 's possible if you look at the latter the hotel group and um, that is iPO this year I mean a few years ago. That kind of looked a basket case, uh, if you like. When you think of all the investor money that went into the company, and it didn't seem possible, uh, given the way the hotel market was performing at that time, that those investors could ever get their money back. But effectively, they have. They've been given shares now in this uh, in this new company, which has gone in the stock market, and the share price is flying.
1: And uh, Laura, do you ever think that you could see, you know, UTV buying TV Three? Uh, you know, Doughty Hansen that tends to invest for five to seven years, as Kieran said. Mm. There, it's there almost a decade. You know, is it going to put the business on the market? You know, maybe a year or two down the line.
0: Yeah, well, when I was talking to John McCann, uh, the chief executive of UTV, uh, late last year, he sort of denied that the company was ever interested in buying TV Three. You know, that that was never on the cards. But uh, you know, whether or not that's the case. Um, but that doesn't mean they won't be interested in the future. John McCann, you know, will retire in the next few years. There'll be a new person at the head of UTV. That'll be really interesting to see. Uh, what they do, you know, will it be? Will they continue this sort of sh- shift back into television, shall we say? Or you know, it could be the case that Scott Taunton, who heads up their British radio uh, interests, um, you know, becomes becomes the successor, and then the company could go in a complete different direction, taking it taking it away even from, from Ireland. So it's it's I think it's I think it's probably true that TV Three will come on the market, or, or there will be some change in its structure at some point in the future, but. We don't know if it's UTV. I'm uh, sure,
2: you know, if you talk to them today, UTV and TV3 are going to tell you that they're going to paddle their own canoes um, for, you know, the foreseeable future for the long term and so on. But realistically, when you think about it, you look at the number of channels, TV channels, uh, Irish-owned TV channels, you've got RT1 and 2, you've got um, TV3, you've got 3E, you've got TG Car, you've got Satanta Sports, and now you're going to have a UTV Republic of Ireland um, channel as well. That's a ferocious number of channels. Um. You know, effectively free-to-air channels um, in the marketplace. When you when you look at Britain or Germany or other uh, markets, you know it's 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 huge. And so this is
0: that a time when people are closing down TV channels? You know, there's this pressure on the whole the whole channel model as a whole. So it is it is. I
2: I think some coming together of TV Three and I, and new TV um, in the future just can't be ruled out, despite you know what they might tell you now. We might see a so-called second force in Irish
1: television rather than a second and a third. Uh, Kieran Hancock and Laura Slattery, thanks for coming on Inside Business. And that's it for this week's Inside Business. I'm Tom Lyons. The producer was Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer was James Davis.